Hi, this is Azimuth World Foundation's podcast, Connecting the Dots. With the help of our guests, we will be connecting the dots between matters of access to public health and safe water and the balance between humankind and nature among indigenous and rural communities. Hello and welcome to Connecting the Dots. I'm Mariana Marques, Azimuth World Foundation President. Just a quick reminder that you can also watch or read this interview at azimuthworldfoundation.org insights. It's impossible to discuss the global climate and biodiversity crisis without talking about the Amazon. Deforestation, illegal mining and logging have reached alarming levels in recent years, pushing crucial ecosystems to the brink. The Amazon bears the visible scars of our collective impact on the planet, pollution, overconsumption, inequality, alienation. However, if you look at satellite images of the Amazon, you'll notice that amidst the deforested areas beyond uniform plots of land used for farming and intensive agriculture, and beside the destructive trails of miners, life persists. It is vibrant, powerful, and a lifeline for so many species, including ours. Often, these preserved areas overlap indigenous territories, where communities have lived sustainably for generations. They have preserved over 80% of Earth's biodiversity while developing cultures and identities that recognize humans as an integral part of nature's tapestry and health as determined by the environment, physically, but also culturally, spiritually, and as a community. In Brazil, indigenous communities continue to struggle for their right to inhabit and manage their land. Their lives are under constant threat despite their globally recognized and valuable contribution to our environmental well-being. Colonization is far from over, and survival is on the line for many of these communities. It's critical time to listen to people like Ana Rosa, the founder of Melly Bees, who works to protect indigenous people's rights and self-determination. Drawing from our indigenous ancestry and driven by the ecological, cultural and social tragedy unfolding in the Amazon, Ana Rosa and a generation of Amazonian leaders established Mali Bees. Their goal is to strengthen land protection and regeneration through indigenous and local-led projects. Ana Rosa is committed to amplifying the voices of the communities she works with and creating networks of knowledge, solidarity and allyship to tackle the enormous, enormous challenges we face. We are thrilled to have her with us today. Hello, Ana Rosa. Thank you for accepting our invitation to Connecting the Dots. I want to start uh, by asking you to introduce yourself and briefly describe your organization, Mali Bees. Hi, Mariana. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm honored to be here with you. Yeah, so Mali is a nonprofit organization that basically engages a network of indigenous and local communities in endangered areas. Right now, we are focused mostly in Brazil. So we started in the Amazon area and we grew up now for two others. We are also developing projects in two other biomes within the country. And uh, we support them to develop their own projects leading with their own vision of the future they want. Thank you. And uh, Najasa, before we delve into the solutions you're working on, could you tell us about the context that led to the creation of Mali Bees? 
And um, what is the arc of deforestation and what have you witnessed regarding the Amazon's deforestation and its impact on indigenous communities? Yeah, so the arc of deforestation is the area that happens to be like an arc in the Amazon where most of the deforestation there has historically takes place. I grew up in a city called Maraba, and there I could see how much the crimes against the forest, the crimes against the environment, are deeply connected with crimes against the human rights. So mm -hmm. that's basically what moved me most. Another crucial reason of why this project started is because when we first did a crowdfunding project, to engage with the Kayapos, we raised the attention of many other indigenous and local communities in the area. So we saw the engagement and we saw the need uh, of support for indigenous and local communities in the area. So we, we saw that we could have partners. There were many partners already on the ground, ready to develop regenerative products. So mm -hmm. that's kind of what moved us most. And from there, we did the first year, we did a bunch of separated projects. So kind of one project here, one project there mm -hmm. with different communities. And now we are trying to do to have a stronger uh, ecosystem approach uh, because we see the need of like a larger environment. And basically, we, we are establishing this structure for them to to connect and to have this base where they can start their projects and that we can, they can have the support for them to reach the projects. Also, a very crucial thing is that we saw the big advantage when one community is more active on the network. So we have monthly events since they start. We always had kind of update calls online mm -hmm. to just, just for us to, to get to know each other better. And we saw the importance of this participation for them to interact. But at the same time, we also see the large amount of communities that don't have access to a stable internet connection. Mm -hmm. So we try to juggle with these two different situations and engage the communities with events and with workshops and with simply calls or conversations as long as we can. Your organization name is inspired by native stingless bees. So can you tell us about your work with the Meliponini and why they are an inspiration and guide for Meli bees philosophy as an organization? Great question. So we are Meli Bees Network. So the idea of this network is very strong for us since the start. Mm -hmm. And Meli Bees is because we work with the Meliponini Bees. I mentioned that yeah. we did a crowdfunding in the very start in 2019. We did a crowdfunding to work with Meliponini Bees to support the Kayapos to do so. And the, the Meliponini are stingless bees. They are native. They are actually native to all tropical and subtropical regions across the globe. And even though there are more than 400 registered species of them, very there's very little information. Or even in Brazil, like many people don't know about them. The bees, they, they go to the forest, to the plants, to the flowers, to gather their food. So they primarily mm -hmm. go for food. But when they do so, they do ecosystem services. We try to have the same vision. So we want to develop activities that have both, both impacts for the environment and for the community. Like if we support indigenous cultures quite broadly, we do so. If we work with regenerative agriculture, we do so. If we work with native bees, we do so as well. And we work with activities that have both social and environmental positive impact. When we first started, like we started to hear also from other indigenous communities, 
there were uh, products from the stingless bees used to make uh, arrows, some some deta details on the arrows they use. So we also see on this regard, thinking, just looking for this little species, a bunch of points that are related with culture, environmental, health, food, and mm -hmm. so on. Well, thank you for sharing, Anna uh, Many of us might have come across the terms agroecology or bioeconomy before. Still, it will be great to learn from you what these regenerative practices mean and why they are the basis for your work with indigenous communities. Sure. I do think there are many different views on regenerative agriculture, on regeneration, agroecology, and so on. And for us, the main point of it is to have to be led by the communities and to be biodiverse and to have a good care of the microbes and the soil. So the soil microbiology. Mm -hmm. So healthy soil, healthy community, healthy biodiversity. We see this long-term need to have re the real engagement of the community, that the community don't simply accept that to be done with them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The community is actively involved on making that happen. You know, uh, Melly Bees Network already engages leaders from over 50 communities in endangered areas of the Brazilian Amazon, primarily in the states of Pará and Maranhão. How did you initiate uh, connections with these indigenous and local communities? Uh, so first of all, I connected with them because they were my friends. <laughs> like I went to university with indigenous people and uh, grew up exactly in Maranhão uh, and Piauí, Pará. So that's kind of the region I know as home. And But I have to say that this was the start. So the first communities I kind of yes. knew directly. The second generation of communities I didn't know mm -hmm. directly anymore. They knew each other and they kind of, they brought more communities and more and more. So a network started to grow by, by itself. So we also grow up to to other states in Brazil, like mm -hmm. Maranhão, also other biomes. So we are in the Amazon, we are doing projects in Mata Atlântica, so Atlantic forest, and in the Cerrado as well. We mm -hmm. also work between Cerrado and Maranhão, so it's oh, Cerrado and Amazon. So these two biomes, they are next to each other and there are indigenous communities mm -hmm. that have both biomes in the same area. Mm -hmm. Like the mm -hmm. Amazon, this part yes. of the Amazon that's close to Cerrado, they are, the, the same community lives in both. There are some communities that live more only in the Cerrado, like the Crao. The Crao mm -hmm. live in the Cerrado, kind of the very Cerrado areas. The Guajajara live in both. But like the Tupinambá, we also work with the Tupinambá that live in the Atlantic forest, it's a whole other context because yes. they were the first indigenous that had contact with the non-indigenous people. We we work with communities which the parents were the first generation that had contact with the non-indigenous. So that is a whole, it's quite different, but at the same time, we see many points that connect them regardless of being in these different biomes, these different contexts, they anyways get connected mm -hmm. and can exchange many, many ideas and help each other. In the first years, we did a lot of projects with uh, regenerative agriculture, so agroecology and native beekeeping, of course. So we do have native beekeeping as one of our core uh, projects. Uh, and we did some also storytelling activities that were actually more story listening, mm -hmm. basically engaging the communities to, to listen again to their own stories, to reflect on their own stories. Uh, so these were the first years. This year, we are very open to what the communities see that they need 
Right now, we are in a focus on food sovereignty. And we did a couple of different projects. Uh, projects that go from community kitchen with the patacho. But at the same time, like with the Guajajara, they're doing seeds collection, uh, seedlings production, native beekeeping uh, for the reforestation of their forest. So mm -hmm. protect their forest. While with the Apurinam, they are doing some uh, agroecology work with the schools. And that's a, a common point that I saw very often. Many indigenous communities engage the local schools. They want to engage, regardless with the topics, all these projects want to engage somehow the local schools. Uh, with the gaviões, the, the kids are painting their traditional patterns with in their beehives. So they are involved in the schools. The patacho <laughs> are inviting the kids from the school to uh, be a part of the process of uh, working on their community kitchen, but also working on the regenerative agriculture they are uh, making to support the kitchen as a, this meeting place to kind of reconnect with this traditional exchange they, they have. You also have in your team members of indigenous communities, right, at Mali Bees. We, we need that for, for the projects to, to engage locally, right? So we need their help, their understanding, uh, their support to, to be sure that this project would be successful locally. We learn a lot with them because they are the ones who actually have the local knowledge, who knows which direction the project should take, right? Or who mm -hmm. they should engage more. A point that maybe I didn't talk so much about is that the community science, uh, because we also engage a lot with universities to help us uh, answer questions raised by the communities. So sometimes mm -hmm. the, the communities uh, share, oh, this is happening. Why is that happening? How can I, I better work in this situation? Or, oh, look at this bee. Would, do you have information about this bee or this plant? So we, we try to connect uh, these two actors mm -hmm. in, of course, non-colonizing ways. Yes, I was percent. going to, to ask that, uh, Anna Rosa, is... How do you involve indigenous communities in research without engaging in that data extractivism and prioritize the community's desires? Yeah, I think a good start, a very good start, is to first wait for questions that are raised by the communities. Because we need to understand that the indigenous do, like the communities do, pay attention and they, they do study in their own manner the local biodiversity, right? I remember uh, Jonas Guajajara, one of the members, saying, oh, we have these, these, and these bees, but these and these and these, you, the non-Indigenous don't know because I have looked a lot about them and I don't think you, you are aware. I don't, I don't know the name in Portuguese and probably you didn't, you, you don't, you're not aware of it. And to try to connect these two, uh, these two different perspectives can maybe help to gather information about the species and understanding. So, of course, there's the local understanding, the, the, the local wisdom that happens uh, of what happens. But sometimes they do also want to, to exchange to try to raise their information about these plants or these bees or these, these species. And that can be either from a local, another local community or maybe the university. Practitioners or academics mm -hmm. can maybe support Sometimes uh, other practitioners are have even more knowledge than the, the local university. So it's kind of, there's not only one solution, but I think 
the start is to be guided by by the communities to answer questions raised by them. It's good that the science community is also embracing and being more open to receive indigenous knowledge. Uh, although there's this science in, the, in different fields can still be very conservative, but that we're starting to see uh, some being more open and you know, and kind of be more in sync with indigenous ways. And we are lucky because we actually have been approached by the universities more than the other around. So normally the the university partners that we have contact with are the ones who are, are already open for that. So we don't have, we never had problems with <laughs> university partners. The ones that come to us normally have also an aligned vision with us. Well, um, the methodology employed by Melly Bees involves engaging community members, a contributors team, uh, hubs, and partners for each project. How important is it for projects developed with Indigenous communities to become Indigenous-led and managed by Indigenous peoples? Um, I'm right now um, writing a uh, blog post that's probably going to be released already before this comes out. That is on um, something that I saw happening uh, last week, actually, literally. Um, three communities came up to us showing uh, showing something, some progresses that came from the, from the project we developed with them. So uh, with the storytelling workshop, the local community started an elder, elder group in the community. And this group is now doing another project with us this uh, this semester on native uh, bees. And um, that was very beautiful to see how one project developed to the other. Then there was the, the project of the school-related gaviões. We did the project last year for them to, to have this beehive area, uh, like circa 50, 60% bigger now the area because they multiply the beehives. And all the multiplied beehives are being in that little house that was painted by the school's uh, students. It's a project that was finished. Our our part of Melly is over, but they continue because they they had this motivation. They had this clear vision. They wanted to continue. And the third community was uh, that wrote, and I was impressed because it was really within two weeks, all three messages. Wow. <laughs> So the third one was uh, Francisco Guajajara. Like last year, he took part in uh, an agro agroecology workshop in another community in Pará. Uh, he's from Aranhão, from the Araribóia indigenous area. And he this year he showed, he shared uh, some photos from his work being based on what he learned last year. He's working in his uh, community doing agroforestry system. So using local ingredients to to make the fertilizers, we are we're trying to establish a culture of every year doing a regenerative agriculture workshop with the communities. Mm -hmm. And this year, the regenerative agriculture workshop is going to be exactly in Francisco's village. So for me to see that that Francisco already with his knowledge from last year is already putting in practices in his community. And to just imagine how much more he will learn with the workshop going exactly to his community. And this workshop this year is very special because we are bringing a teacher with a lot of experience with other indigenous communities like the Guarani in Sao Paulo, who are doing like really indigenous based regenerative agriculture 
great examples that show when for the other indigenous communities how they can support their own food security for the start to to work with their soil with their biodiversity it's very nice so i think this to have these three examples for me they were exactly three examples to show how the communities being autonomous they can continue this project or even only events i found it i was very touched i was very touched about that and of course we do wonder very often like okay how can i make the communities really autonomous it's about the, mm-hmm. the being a partner in the journey right mm-hmm. and i do think there's also this misconception it's it's the autonomy is not only about having financial support for the community the autonomy is to have the support and there are many different capitals for that there is the environmental capital the the social capital there are like heaps of capitals that the communities need to be autonomous and how does international visibility uh, contribute to the success of these projects? Um, so with the international visibility, I was able to raise the funds formally to this to start. Even though I grew up in the Amazon, I'm a migrant since a few years in, in Germany, so in the Europe continent, European continent. Um, with my social background in Brazil, I wouldn't be able to simply take a year off to do volunteer work mm-hmm. to open a, a nonprofit organization. It would not be possible. Mm-hmm. And here I have a few part. I, I found few partners that could support us doing that. So basically, the international visibility is to raise to raise support, uh, to raise funds, to do the projects on the ground. So of course, we also work with the global uh, awareness here. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of persons uh, here interested on in getting to know more about these communities, and our aim is that. Very soon, we kind of also can bring the indigenous knowledge to come here. So to exchange this knowledge actually on both ways would be the ideal. And of course, the culture is a super big topic. Uh, There are many indigenous uh, filmmakers. There's, of course, the awareness, the the political awareness, the international visibility. Well, I think all that can play a role together Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. make a world that respects indigenous uh, traditions, local traditions and build together a work that really connects with each other. Well, going a little bit into political awareness, Lula da Silva's presidency has brought hope for halting deforestation, particularly compared to Jair Bolsonaro's policies. But Ana Rosa, what is your experience on the ground so far beyond these headlines? Is there genuine optimism among the indigenous communities you work with? Yeah, so the optimism... With, of course, having Bolsonaro behind and and there was a strong optimism after Lula came. At the same time, I'm always very careful because the first round of Lula presidency a while ago, uh, he didn't do everything super Mm -hmm. good for the indigenous communities, not for the Amazon. He did some big constructions that were not environmentally sustainable at all. Mm -hmm. So we do need to be careful. At the same time, there's an optimism uh, because it's uh, uh, after Bolsonaro, we had a very bad experience. It's kind of, yeah, we can breathe again. Mm-hmm. But of course, we need to be careful at the same time. Well, Anarosa, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your dedication to protecting indigenous rights and fostering regenerative practices in the Amazon. Thank you for listening to Connecting the Dots. 
Anazimuth World Foundation podcast. Join the conversation on our website, azimuthworldfoundation.org, or by following us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn.